Welcome to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. There are so many challenges involved in the college process, including choosing the right college, planning a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and much more. The team of experts from College Coach are here to help you find some, if not all, of the answers you need. Now, here is your host, Elizabeth Heaton. Welcome, everyone, to today's episode of Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. I'm Sally Ganga from College Coach. I hope you're all doing well. It's pretty cold here in Connecticut, so stay warm, but don't let the temperature stop you from visiting colleges if those are some of your plans this winter. I'm really excited about our guest lineup today. We have two college coach veterans, but we also have a guest expert, so we're mixing it up. For our second segment, I'll be talking with Sarah Calvert-Kubram, college coach expert and recently of Lewis and Clark College admissions. She and I will be advising seniors on what to consider going into their second semester. And for our third segment, we'll be talking with finance consultant uh, for college coach Chrissy Ferran, who will be enlightening me about finding scholarship money from local agencies and, and sources. But first, I'm really, really pleased to have Mandy Savitz-Romer, senior lecturer of the Harvard Graduate School of Education and author of the book, Fulfilling the Promise, Reimagining School Counseling to Advance Student Success. She and I will be discussing the impact of having too few college counselors in our nation's public high schools and how that impacts our students. So welcome, Mandy. Thank you for having me. Oh, thanks so much for coming on. And I'm, I'm, I've really enjoyed, um, you know, reading your book and reading through some of the articles where you've been interviewed. Um, I really wanted to have you on this show because I think this is so, such an important issue. I mean, all the way I went to high school in California. I went to a relatively to a wealthy school district. I was lucky enough, Santa Monica High School. And already back then, I think my high school counselor had, I don't know, hundreds of students. And so I remember when I went to her for help with college, she basically sort of said, and she was great, like this is not any kind of a knock on her, but she had so little time for me. We met, uh, she helped me briefly register for courses. And when it was time for college, she sort of checked me out, said, you're going to be competitive for all the UCs. So that's great. If you want to apply to a private college, you just need to tell me which ones and fill out this form and I'll write a letter of recommendation for you. And then basically I was out in 10 minutes because, you know, she had lots and lots and lots of clients. And I think there was, you know, some emergencies waiting for her. So again, no knock on her. I quite liked her. I was comfortable with her, but got so little time. And honestly, I graduated from high school in 1986. So I'm pretty sure the caseloads have gotten even worse since then. Is that uh, maybe you can talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, I wish I could say that your story was rare, but I hear lots of stories like that. And in fact, the, the caseloads are a real challenge today. Uh, I think some things have changed and some things have gotten better, believe it or not, in some parts of the country and some places are worse. Uh, the, the professional organization that supports counselors suggests that ratio should be no higher than one counselor for 250 students. So I don't know what the counselors at Santa Monica High School were managing, but even 250 students is a pretty high number, and there are really only about three states nationally that, that honor that. In fact, the average across the country is one counselor for about 491 students. And in places like Arizona, you see things closer like to one to 941. So the caseloads are really out of control, and I think we can attribute some of that to reduced budgets and school leaders and districts that need to make difficult decisions about where to invest and who to hire. We had a big focus on reducing class size and keeping class size down. As a result, I think when administrators are thinking about cutting a teacher or a counselor, it seems like a counselor is an easier cut. So the caseload is, in fact, um, one of the most pressing issues that we're faced right now. And, in fact, we see much higher caseloads in parts of the country, but also we see higher caseloads in districts that educate low-income students and some middle-income students' communities. So it's certainly an issue, um, but it's not the only issue. I think even if we had a low caseload, there are other challenges that get in the way of counselors meeting students' needs, but it's certainly one of the things that I'm trying to call attention to, so I'm glad you raised it. 
Okay. All right. Great. Yeah. And I, I wanted to raise it also, cause I've actually gotten into arguments with people. Like I'll tell them that story and they'll say, well, you ended up fine, which I did. I went to a college I loved. I actually had a trusted history teacher who helped me, you know, so I was able to reach out, you know, but I, I'm like, you know, I was a fortunate one. I had other trusted adults, um, in my life who were knowledgeable, um, not, you know, not everybody has that. So what do you see as, um, you know, what do you see as some of the impacts? Um, and, and honestly, I know there's tons of impacts in a lot of important ways, but I wonder if we could, could focus just given the purpose of this particular, uh, radio show, if we could focus on what are the impacts in terms of getting students into college? I think there are many. I think in an ideal world and in many parts of the country, counselors are beginning college readiness planning work with students early on. So the early college awareness, raising students' aspirations, making sure they are very clear about who they are, what their values are, and what's important to them, so that that planning process does not include being given a list of a few schools, as you described, and being told (laughs) that if they want to go to private schools, just let me know, Um, but is in fact a much more personalized process, and we know that's very important today. I mean, the the admissions landscape as it exists right now is very different from what it looked like in the 80s and the 70s. And so what we see today is a much more uneven playing field. We see admissions offices engaging in more holistic reviews, which means they're looking carefully at who students are. So the impact, as you ask, is really about whether or not students are getting support and time from counselors to engage in a thoughtful, personalized process so that they can then be competitive in a holistic review process that admissions engage, admissions officers are engaged in. So I think, you know, the impacts are that things are happening late. They're happening in a rushed way. There's a one-size-fits-all model. We're using technology to massify some of the information without it really attending to who students are. So while... You know, counselors are doing lots of things. I think you allude to this in the terms of, like, the focus here being on getting in. But a student coming out as gay or having experienced bullying or having a 504 is very much related to the college planning process and needs to be included in that process. And so because counselors work across those different areas, they're very well positioned to talk to students about what it might mean say, for example, as a student of color going to a predominantly white college or a student who would like to go to a gay-friendly institution or feels very strongly about their religious values and beliefs and would like to go to a school that has a spiritual identity associated. So that counselors work in those different sort of areas um, is important, but if that kind of personalized process can't happen, then they're going through a process in which they land on a school that really may not be for them. And then the, the long-term impact is they don't stay, they struggle, they leave, um, and then they're unsuccessful. Way before that, I think one of the impacts of counselors not having much time is that there are students who decide that college is simply not for me, or they make all sorts of other decisions about careers that are not for them or that they can't or cannot do, and as a result, then they give up on certain possible pathways. And I think what we realize is that the kind of education, the exploratory, the exposure, the talking with students about how they make meaning out of what's possible for them so that the process is thoughtful and and really humane, I think doesn't happen. Uh, And instead, it kind of happens as the last kind of year of high school, maybe a little bit in junior year. Mm -hmm. Yeah, actually, I find that even in um, schools that are very well resourced and have like a, a counseling staff that's closer to the ideal, everything really starts second semester of the junior year because the counselors are so overwhelmed. So you're really saying there should be some engagement, ideally in like ninth grade. I mean, even middle school, but ninth grade is the earliest that a high school counselor could access. So what kind of engagement, like what are some specifics that you think, you know, might be in an ideal world, even if it's really not a reality in most places? I think, uh, I think an ideal is um, early education and awareness. And I think it is happening in lots of places. It's 
probably piecemeal and not happening in any sort of coordinated way where students are seeing the connections between something they did in ninth grade and something they're doing now and planning for their future. It includes counselors using career interest inventories or online kinds of assessments that tap into values, interests, and those kinds of things. And then educating students about, well, what are the different possibilities for majors in those areas? So I think career kind of exposure and then connecting that to college and why one goes to college and how one pursues those things is one area. Another area is just early on talking with kids about the admissions process so it doesn't become this competitive process whereby I'm just trying to outdo the next person so that students are owning it and leading it. I think we certainly hear a lot about parents who are sort of managing the whole process, which of course, undermines the skills that students need to develop in organizing and, and having agency over this, but also they don't feel like they're doing this for them. And so I think there's a lot of setting the scaffolds in place for students to lead this. And that might be something that sounds really separate from college planning, and that is student-led parent conferences where students are leading conversations about their schooling. It seems separate, but it's all the same thing, which is how do you set up students to take responsibility for their learning in school? And counselors do those things. They are responsible for going into classrooms, and whether it's career education or teaching self-regulatory skills. Those are the kinds of skills that they'll need to use when they're planning out um, all their college options and then making decisions about sort of which is the, the best one for me, not just because the bumper sticker will look good, but because it's aligned with my values, it's aligned with my career interests and goals. What's somewhat ironic is that in general, where schools have missed the boat entirely is doing some of this career exposure and planning, and higher ed does almost none of it. So when you get to college, the Office of Career Services is something you tap into, much like high school, in your last year. And so there's not a lot of attention to helping students crystallize and formulate their career interests and how to connect that to a major. They kind of think that's happening, and yet it's just not. So I think if counselors were starting early, a lot of it is just helping students figure out what's important to them, what are their values, and how do they want to sort of keep those things connected to a future planning process. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I really love what you said, too, about giving students the skills, if, I, if I'm if i summarizing correctly, to allow them to lead the process themselves. So uh, more counselors is going to help them get the information they need to then empower themselves to find the right career path, um, college, exact, like find the things that are the right match for them. Is that an act, kind of an accurate, albeit overly brief summary? It's a terrific summary. I'd only add one thing, which is the reality is that we want counselors in schools to get to know students, to get to know your listener students so they know who they are, so they're not meeting them their senior year. And they can't do that if they're spending all their time proctoring tests or doing lunchroom duties and doing administrative work, um, leading 504 meetings. So we want counselors to have low caseloads, but we really want their role to be set up in such a way that someone in school across the four years of high school knows you, knows your child, and is thinking about them in a way that when it comes time to really putting more of the kind of decision-making um, hat on, they're not meeting you. They're not meeting your child. They've been working with you on all sorts of other things. And that's why I think it's critical that counselors are able to do this. They're in schools. They get to know families because they have siblings. Um, and they can connect all the college planning work with all the other things they're doing in school. Mm-hmm. Yeah, your point is a good one. I mean, I was I was a private high school counselor. I only had 45 students maybe, but I was administering the, I was in charge of administering the AP test. So basically for two weeks, I was barely available to my students mm-hmm. um, in the middle of the spring when juniors really wanted to talk to me, you know? So it's, uh, the, I can only imagine how challenging that's going to be with 450 students. Um so you, your book talks a lot about having a data-driven approach. So what are some of the, I don't want to get too far into the weeds with this, but just if we're listen, if there's any skeptics listening, because I really do want to highlight the importance of what you're saying, what are some of the sort of compelling data points that, um, or, you know, pieces of information that point to the necessity for kind of changing the programs in some places, putting together a cohesive program and having enough counselors in place um, to make all this possible. Right. Well, you know, I think the one thing that's come true uh, more recently, I think for years, counselors and 
counselor field leaders like myself have believed that counselors are very central to this sort of issue that schools are facing around setting students up for college access and, and success. But more recently, there's some empirical evidence that's coming out that's looking at the impact of counselors and finding that counselors are far more influential on students' college-going plans uh, than teachers and seeing the kind of ways in which they can increase enrollment numbers by adding counselors. So the College Board did a study in which they looked at the value of, of adding one counselor to a high school and saw an improvement of 11% in terms of enrollment numbers. So there are a whole lot of studies that I think point to the fact that we just need to invest in this, like we did when the Russians launched Sputnik and and the U.S. said, uh-oh, we need to compete, and they added school counselors. This is really where the sort of vocational guidance movement came from. And we're sitting at this moment today where we know the admissions system is flawed, and we have another choice to make. And I see counselors as being very instrumental yet again. The data-driven practices that I call for in the book suggest that counselors and their training today is very much oriented around leadership and advocacy and equity and using data. Just like teachers are using data from standardized tests to sort of guide their teaching, counselors are using data to track which students have experienced certain kinds of early college or early career opportunities to track which students have, have completed the FAFSA. So it's not sort of a throw the net out and see who we catch, but it's very much data-driven around the kinds of milestones and benchmarks we know students need to hit in order to be on track to be accepted to college. Because what happens when the process starts in your senior year is it's too late to change some of the things that have already happened. So if this is a developmental process that starts early, we need to track who's on task and who's you know, likely to slip through the cracks so that counselors can intervene by leveraging teachers and using their nonprofit partners or private college counselors or families, but be doing so in a very intentional and, I would argue, data-driven way. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Absolutely. And these things do have long term um, impact. My sister actually works with a think tank around community college, and she talks about how these decisions that students are making in high school, um, they don't just impact where you get into college, they impact what happens when you get to college, whether you have to take remedial mm -hmm. classes. And then that impacts whether you even graduate from community college or can successfully transfer. So, um, yeah, all these things have these long term impacts. So what, um, I mean, if, if, if you're um, advising parents, right, um, mm -hmm. about what they could do to push for adequate services in their school district. So maybe I'm kind of thinking both about like maybe in the immediate to get the help that they need from their counselor and then also, but how can they talk to their school district and express what they, what they need, what needs to happen? It's a terrific question. I would answer it in two ways. First is, is what you said in terms of the immediate. I think it's important that parents see counselors as resources and in that way start to sort of have the expectations of them that have maybe not been so common, which is go out of your way to meet your counselor, ask them sort of what their role is so that you can be the translator for your students and encouraging students to build those relationships well before the college planning process. Um, to the extent possible, ask counselors, um, if they'd like you to organize a parent night. Sometimes counselors really want more access to families, but just organizing one more event is beyond their capacity or bandwidth. I think certainly the last thing I'll mention on the what you can do right now is that the school counselors of today are quite different from those of previous generations. So you'll see a lot in my book where I'm talking about dropping the guidance counselor term and see these folks as professionals with master's degrees and, and strong training that equip them to help your students um, and ask them for that. And and then the, the transition is, and, and call on your schools and districts to do the same. Attend school board meetings where you can be vocal and persuasive and and where issues are being discussed, where they can call for more counselors. If there's a budget discussion, go and ad advocate. Um, contact school leaders and express support for policies that could create um, counselors to be more effective. Some school districts I visit, the counselors tell me that there are policies whereby they can't take students out of class to meet with them. So their only time to meet with students is during lunch. Well, if you know adolescents, they don't want to do this during lunch. They want to be with their friends or have a break or check out. You don't want the counselor being like, and now it's time to meet with me. So counselors' lack of work with students is sometimes hindered by these somewhat invisible policies that make it hard for them to have face time with them. So really trying to figure out what might be getting in the way and advocate as much as they can. Um, I think even though they might have had 
a negative experience with their own counselor and their own education or worse, seen portrayals on TV that sort of say counselors are ineffective, it's a new day. And, you know, folks like me in schools of ed are trying to train them for this new day. We want them to be there for your children. But we need parents and everyone to start expecting them to do just that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you want to look at a good example of a high school counselor, look at um, Friday Night Lights. Don't look at oh, some yeah. of the other portrayals out there. I don't know if you ever saw Friday Night Lights, but I did. Uh, I did. <laughs> she is a she great be, she school counselor. So we, she's terrific. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so how about those of us in the community? I mean, I, we just have like a, kind of just a couple minutes left at this point. But is there something that I mean, I don't have kids, but like, what are some of the things that that I can do? Uh, maybe to help, like maybe go to the school board meetings myself, that sort of thing? Absolutely. And state education officials to express support or calls for more counselors. I think helping, looking for professional development. If you work in education, counselors report not going to a lot of professional development opportunities, either because they're not allowed to leave their buildings or because it's just not worth being gone for a day and having so much work or not having funding. So if I think if you are in the community and you have done private college counseling, offering up that support, I think um, we need to call attention to what counselors can do. And and find ways that if a counselor is not able to meet with your student and you're not getting the kind of support you need, ask why. Try to figure out if you can do some advocacy with school leaders. For those in the community, I would just say to educate yourself about the kind of new vision of what counselors are ready for today. The kinds of issues students are bringing to school are far more complex than they once were, and the admissions game as it is calls for all students to have access to these really personalized kinds of planning processes. So anything we can do to increase access to that and not further sort of stratify the system by um, pulling some kids out for private college counseling, I think will make for a better system. And ultimately that will serve all students better. Mm -hmm. Well, and I want you to know that I agree. I honestly think it would be great if my job was not necessary. So it (laughs) it unfortunately is, but I'm totally behind working to make the system work better for absolutely everybody. So um, no arguments there. We we can do both. You know, I think we have to do both. I think, of course, families need to do what's best for them and their children, and they can do that and leverage all sorts of opportunities and privilege and at the same time also call for something better. And And as a parent of three who's had to make some of those same choices, I think that this is really what it comes down to is that we have to, to the extent possible, try to advocate for something better and not accept the status quo and perpetuate this idea that counselors can't do it. We need to create a system in which they can. So I appreciate I appreciate you having me on your show and asking these questions because they're hard questions, but the fact that people are asking them and talking about it and not just not just Tammy from Friday Night Lights, but everybody talking about it <laughs> is a good thing. I think it's a good thing. Okay, great. I'm glad you're a fan of Tammy's as well. <laughs> so I am. Okay. I am. I am. Okay. So yes, thank you. All right. Thank you so much, Mandy. All right, everybody. So now we're going to be taking a short break, but when we return, we'll be talking with Sarah Calvert-Kubram of College Coach. If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college and most importantly what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application we've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college most into their top choice schools so make the decision to come work with college coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters the one in the envelope that says yes visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. 
to reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everyone. As I mentioned before our break, we'll now be talking to Sarah Calvert-Kubram. Welcome, Sarah. Hi, Sally. Thank you for having me. Oh, thanks so much for being on. So, um, all right. So today we are talking about what do seniors who have already submitted their college applications, um, what do they need to be thinking about now? So what do you think is sort of the most important thing for them to, uh, mm-hmm. to consider right now? So first of all, I just want to quickly say for the students out there that were admitted under early action and early decision, congratulations. That's fantastic. Um, Regardless of if a student has been admitted somewhere yet or if they're waiting for regular decision decisions this spring, it's really important that students work to keep their um, senior year grades up. Um, And a couple of things we'll talk about with that. First of all, logistically speaking, right now, so end of January, early February, is a time when most colleges with applications in the regular decision pool or for students who applied early but they they were deferred to make their decision later, um, high school counselors will be sending an updated transcript with students' um, first semester or first um, grading period of their senior year to colleges to update them. So they'll want to see the grades that are already done. The second piece is that even once those grades are in, even once students are admitted places, to the college that the student actually deposits to that they plan on attending next fall, after they graduate, you know, this May or June, colleges are required to receive a final official high school transcript with all of the final grades as well as the date that they graduated. Um, And when admissions offices receive those transcripts, they do look to see if the student is still the type of student that they that they admitted. Um, so they they will skim the transcripts, and if they see something of concern, like maybe this was an A student, and oh geez, they suddenly have a C, or ooh, they withdrew from classes that they never took us told us about. Um, big changes. Those transcripts get flagged and usually brought to the attention of the admissions committee. Um, and I, although I don't want to scare students, there can be some pretty serious conversations about, okay, the student needs to talk to the admissions officials and decide, you know, if an offer of admission needs to be rescinded or if they have to have a meeting about what happened and if they can still plan on enrolling, et cetera. Um, so I know that's a little bit of a scary conversation, um, but I will say that in my years in college admission that the offer of admission was not rescinded or taken away very often, but some serious conversations were had when surprising changes happened during senior year. Do you have any thoughts mm-hmm. or questions about that? Yeah, I mean, I actually, I just wanted to kind of chime in on how important that is. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we once at the University of Chicago, the one of the times we did rescind a decision was when a student had, you know, dropped two classes without talking to us about mm-hmm. it ahead of time. We got no heads up. And we did actually reach out yeah. to her in case it had been a matter of illness. Right. I mean, obviously, if there was some mm-hmm. sort of an illness happening or something, we would have preferred that she had talked to us or her parent had given us a heads up while it was happening. But we would have understood sometimes you're so mm-hmm. I mean, if you're ill, that's a scary thing. And you're caught up in that. We didn't hear back from her. So her admission um, in a timely manner. So her admission was withdrawn. Um, and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, with students whose grades just dropped a little bit, we always had a meeting with them. My recommendation, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I have had students who in their senior year, just like in their junior year, might have had a class they wanted to drop. And um, I always say you need to reach out to the college proactively yeah. and make sure this is not a big deal. So that's your. Mm-hmm. uh Yeah. Yeah, and I I think that being transparent and authentic is so important. So 
proactively reaching out to the Office of Admission if you do get sick, if there is a life emergency, if you realize that you've taken on too much and need to make an adjustment in your classes or, oh, geez, this class is really hard. I I think I might have a lower grade than I usually get. Just proactively letting them know that Um, because this is a relationship the student is entering with the college and they, the college assumes that they have admitted a student with a certain academic record, and to have that deviate without explanation um, certainly unfolds into some pretty big conversations. So I, I completely agree about that nuance of being proactive and communicating. Yeah, and I'm emphasizing that partially because when I, um, I, I've been kind of surprised sometimes by students saying to me, well, if I tell them, then they'll notice. <laughs> Like they're not going to notice otherwise. And I was like, I don't think you realize how carefully colleges look at transcripts. Mm -hmm. You know, they're going to notice (laughs) that is that is 100 percent going to happen. So. So, yes, transparency Mm -hmm. and honesty about this. I've actually seen that Mm -hmm. work out. I mean, I had a student who, um, you know, ended up with a D in math her senior year. It was frankly a pretty big crisis. And uh, but she, mm-hmm. you know, she hadn't expected it. She did poorly on the final. I think she overloaded herself on some fi- like pretty impressive extracurricular projects at the end of her senior year, which was in and of itself pretty cool because a lot of seniors check out. And she was like, this is my mm-hmm. last semester of high school. I want to do these things. She reached out to the college and they they were like, you know what? We have the full context you know, we're not happy about it, but we also get it. And so she was able to, you know, mm-hmm. start fresh as a first year student. Yeah. yeah. And what I would say is I, I worked with our um, admissions leadership at Lewis and Clark with some very complicated summer transcript scenarios. And we always gave the most grace to students when they owned responsibility for whatever happened and they were honest and open and then also reflective. So thinking about how did you grow from this experience? What did you learn in terms of skills that you'll bring to college to prevent something like this? Um, as well as not making excuses. So not saying, eh, it was the teacher's fault, but rather being reflective and thinking, yeah, this is what was going on. This is what I could have done done differently to ask for help, um, et cetera. So I think being very, you know, reflective, responsible, mature, and thinking about what you learned from those experiences can go a long way as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I want to emphasize also, again, Blaming the teacher never goes well, even if maybe the teacher was at fault, which I think occasionally happens. But, you know, Mm -hmm. it's just it's much better always if you're going to take responsibility for yourself. So, um, Mm -hmm. yeah, for for choices that you made. Absolutely. Um, Mm -hmm. All right. So what about if a student hasn't been admitted? um, Should they continue Mm -hmm. to? I mean, you know, we're talking about now February, right? It's just students who applied by the January deadline. They haven't been admitted yet. Should they be updating colleges at all with anything that happens um, since their application was submitted? Yeah, great question. Um, As I alluded to earlier, the the first thing is making sure that the high school counselor does send um, what's called a mid-year report with an updated transcript of the first half of senior year grades. So that logistically is a great thing that they can do with their school counselor. In general, I know it's really hard, but a lot of this time of year is just waiting and being patient and knowing that the admissions office is diligently reading so much information. The the time that it is completely okay to reach out to colleges, if there's a, a substantial new accomplishment or award, um, so not just the scary things like bad grades and those things that we just talked about, but let's say a student um, wins a, a big award, they um, achieve a big new accomplishment. This could be an extracurriculars, an academic award. Let's say they sat for another standardized test and had a massive increase in their changes. It, uh, in their scores, excuse me, it is completely appropriate to reach out um, to the Office of Admission, usually via email to the admissions officer that works with students from their area, with concrete updates um, like that. In general, however, it is a little bit of a time just to practice patience and hopefully have some fun <laughs> in senior year, find some ways to kind of be present and enjoy. And I, I know that waiting is hard, but that's a big part of this time of year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I find that, yeah, students and parents, they, they feel like they should be doing something and anything, doing anything mm-hmm. is better than doing nothing. And often 
the thing to do is to do nothing, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, I, I tell, it's kind of a joking word, but I tell students, um, you don't want to stock the colleges that is not actually effective, you know, to call all right. the time, to email all the time. Um, and you know, like you said, if it's a concrete additional accomplishment, absolutely get in touch. Um, mm -hmm. you know, if you have a very, you know, specific question, there's nothing wrong with asking that. Um, but don't sort of, um, I, I actually worked with one student. I didn't know he was doing this, but turned out he'd been emailing a particular admission office weekly, um, oh just uh -huh. to demonstrate interest. And this was a highly selective college. I mean, frankly, when I worked at Whittier, that would have been great. I would have been like, this kid's coming. Awesome. You know, but, um, mm -hmm. at a highly selective school like Chicago, this didn't happen at Chicago, but I, I would not have been pleased. I would have felt like, you know, this mm -hmm. is overkill. Email me if you have a couple times, if you have some accomplishments, but, um, no, this is, this yeah. is not the thing to be doing. So, so really like it's hard, but, um, this is just not a part of the process that, that you can control yeah. right now. So. Mm -hmm. And I think that if we think about the admissions officers like you, like me in the past, as human beings, that their eyeballs are tired. They're sitting in front of their computer reading thousands of applications, hundreds, whatever it might be. And keeping up on tons of email is another big task to add to that. So making sure that emails are strategic, thoughtful, intentional, and necessary versus filling their inbox when they're trying to get through this important task. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, I also, mm -hmm. um, I also wanted to say, this is kind of off topic, sort of, but mm -hmm. I also want to remind the students, if you were lucky enough to get in under early action or early decision, remember to withdraw from any mm -hmm. colleges. Well, if you're early yeah. decision, you have to withdraw from all of them other than that one. Mm -hmm. If it's early action, unless it's a school you would go to over the school where you were already admitted, withdraw from the rest. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that there are two ways to think about that, and I think this is a great point, Sally, is if you deposit somewhere else, you are saying, hey, I'm coming. So withdraw your other applications, don't make the colleges read them, but also keep in mind for your peers, your friends, all of the high schoolers out there in the country, that if you take your application out of the running, the colleges then might be able to admit another person if they know for sure you're not coming. So it helps you as a student and family feel excited, concrete about your plan of where you're going and letting go of the other places. And then it helps the college and other students have, you know, really solid data and an understanding of how many students they can admit. So it's, it's beneficial all around. Mm -hmm. Okay. So we have like 30 seconds left. So any like one last tip? Yeah, I think my one last tip is um, just keep in mind that regular decision decision release usually come out through the month of March by the latest April 1st, but they usually roll out through the month of March. So students should really be on top of watching their email. Emails will come up telling them to log in and check. The other thing is be prepared that if you've narrowed down to your, you know, top few favorite schools that you're admitted to, that colleges offer a lot of open houses and opportunities to visit campuses, mostly in late March and into the month of April. So you might want to think about final opportunities to get on campuses and make those decisions. Also, some time to have some big family meetings about, you know, comparing the cost of attendance and other key factors of what is going to be a deciding factor for your family. So think ahead for March and April and how you want to utilize time and conversations and making these, these big decisions. Okay. All right. Thank you so much, Sarah. Okay. Thank you. Have a good rest of your day. All right, so we're going to take a short break, but when we get back, we'll be talking with Chrissy Ferran about local sources for scholarships. If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available 
available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says, yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everyone. Hi, Chrissy. Thanks for joining us today. Hi, Sally. Thanks for having me. How is everybody doing? (laughs) I think everybody's doing pretty well. So um, at least I hope so. Although I think scholarships are kind of a stressful, uh, stressful issue for people sometimes. So Um, but what like what are the first things that students should do when they're looking for local scholarships? Um, Yeah, I think, you know, you're very right. Scholarships can be very overwhelming, and there are so many out there to look for that that it gets very stressful, and, and, you know, a lot of students just kind of want to quit. So I think, you know, today this is great that we're talking about just local scholarships because those are going to be the easiest thing to try to get and try to find. So, I mean, I think the first thing they can do and the easiest thing students can do is to just check with your guidance counselor at your high school. Um, Check in with them regularly. So they'll typically have the best sources for local scholarships. You know, many companies and um, personal, you know, people that have their own scholarships that they want to give away, they'll check in with with the local high schools and the guidance counselors to make sure that that information gets out. So um, some schools may even have them listed on the website, depending on, you know, how your school works. Um, You can also check there's a lot of different college planning software that guidance counselors can use for listed scholarships. Um, Naviance is a really popular one. Um, and they have a scholarship module built in, and so counselors can add local scholarships to that. Um, so there's a lot of different college planning software that, that college counselors may use that they can post scholarships in as well. So make sure that you're, you're staying up to date on that. Um, but, the, you know, the biggest thing and the easiest thing you can do is just stay in touch with your guidance counselor and make sure that they know that you are, you know, hungry for scholarships so that they're going to keep in touch with you as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when I was a guidance counselor, actually, when I knew, and again, I was super lucky, I had a really small caseload, um, but if I knew a student was looking for scholarships, when one came in, I would photocopy the information and put it in their box. So they didn't, it wasn't just on Naviance, but they could, like, I actually gave the extra nudge mm-hmm. because I knew it was important to them. If they didn't do that, then I wasn't going to make the extra effort to give them that information. So I just want to emphasize that you're absolutely right there. Well, and, you know, also just to kind of to add to that part of it, like, you know, I've been part of a where we had a family member pass away. And so we wanted to establish a scholarship in their name for, you know, the high school that we all went to. And so that that was a scholarship that we didn't really advertise anywhere. People couldn't really find it. But we did talk to the guidance counselors at schools. And so we did advertise that just through the high school. So there really wasn't any other way to find it. So you can get some kind of one-offs just like that as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, exactly. All right. What about looking in the community? I mean, I, I remember um, I've seen sometimes scholarship listings at libraries, not all of them, but some of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's amazing. If you know, you you do have to do a little bit of footwork and some some legwork to to find some of the stuff in the community. But there are a lot of different community organizations and and members and chapters that do have um, scholarships that they give out. So you know, like check with local credit unions. Um, credit unions love financial literacy programs for students. They love to teach that, and so a lot of times they'll have different scholarships or contests or something available to students. So you know, check if you belong to a credit union. If you don't, <clears throat> just you know, keep checking with them. Check with, you know, local chapters of large charitable organizations. Um, check with local banks and any other, you know, finance, financial institutions. Again, you know, most financial institutions like to have some sort of financial literacy for students um, or young adults. And so, you know, that can be part of that that whole package. Um, 
check with local church organizations, you know, or if, or if you have any religious or spiritual affiliations in your community, um, you know, check with, with any of them. Oftentimes they want to help their, their own local community as well and their students, and so they'll, they'll try to give some scholarships um, away. Um, if, if you're an organization of, or a member of any organization like the Girl Scouts or the Boy Scouts, um, National Honor Society, you know, a lot of times those, those um, organizations can give out scholarships as well. So, you know, check with those, check with, you know, community foundations, um, veterans groups, labor unions, um, utility companies, you know, and any of these kinds of, of community organizations oftentimes will have scholarships either posted on their website um, or, you know, you can even just make phone calls and talk with them as well. Um, students should really also think about their major. If, if they, there is something that they know now that they want to major in, check with the businesses that are associated with that major. So, you know, for example, if you know you want to be a nurse, check with local hospitals um, or local medical clinics. Um, if you want to be a, you know, journalism or a film major, you can check with local TV and radio stations. So kind of think outside the box a little bit and, you know, start checking with some of the businesses that you think you might be, you know, wanting to, to major in. So there's mm -hmm. a lot of different places, but it does require some some work on, on the part of the student to kind of track that down. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Is there anything that parents can do to help? Um, yeah, absolutely. You know, parents, you know, they should certainly be checking with their employers just to make sure that, you know, the employers aren't offering scholarships or any kind of, you know, tuition benefit to their employees. Um, if your child is, if the student's working, if they have a part-time job, um, you know, make sure that they're checking with their employer as well. Make sure you're getting the word out. You know, talk with your friends, talk even students, talk with friends and, and family members. Um, you know, family members, even in other states, if you need to, but just get the word out that that you're searching for, you know, scholarships and that it's an important part of, of your college planning. Um, you know, parents can certainly help kids as far as, you know, proofreading scholarships. You know, most of these scholarships now you have to write an essay for of, of some type. So, you know, if parents can help proofread and, and, you know, just kind of help kids stay organized and figuring out due dates and things like that. So, um, yeah, parents can certainly play a big part of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I want to emphasize though, proofread, yes, write, no. <laughs> uh, somebody <laughs> exactly, who's yeah. worked in college admissions, remember, this needs to be written by a 17-year-old and it needs to sound like a 17-year-old wrote it, which doesn't mean bad grammar. It just yeah. means that it shouldn't sound like a memo written by a 50-year-old accountant. That's all. <laughs> so, yeah, even, um, you know, being in financial aid, I was I was on the other end of having to or wanting to read scholarships that you know students had submitted for essays. And you're right, you can really tell when a 17-year-old has written it, or if a parent has written it, and the language and the voice is very different. So, and and I've I've had parents, you know, even say that they were going to be writing scholarships, and it's like, no, you, you really want to let the, the student do it because it does make a huge difference. Right, right, exactly. Well, and they don't realize there's checks and balances on these things. I mean, if the student, you know, can't, uh, you know, is is uh, is not highly articulate, but they've written mm -hmm. this incredibly, like, you know, lengthy essay that's, you know, or if it does sound like, yeah, like sound like a business memo, that just the, the lack of match is going to be really apparent, so... Um, what about any res any other resources, like any websites that students might be able to use? Yeah, you know, I think there are, I think a, a good thing for students because, you know, I know students nowadays are very into social media and, you know, Instagram. I don't know if they're still on Facebook, but there can be some good places to check through social media too. I know that there have been some students that we've talked with that, you know, they even searched Facebook groups um, that are tied to some of the things that they're interested in. So, you know, if, if if it's a female student for women in STEM, you know, you can search on Facebook and try to find those Facebook pages to see if those groups are offering um, scholarships or if, you know, you're looking for business um, or whatever field that you think you're going into. It, it's a good idea to kind of search through social media as well. Um, so you might find some some good groups that way. Um, mm -hmm. There's other, you know, search sites that can help you search locally, too. So there's a lot of different uh, search engines of, of sorts for um, scholarships that are, are national. But a couple of the national scholarship sites actually will let you filter through by state, which I love. Um, so there's a good one just called collegescholarships.org. Um, and when you go on to that one, you can filter out by state. And so you can just put in your state, and they'll tell you what, what scholarships are local. Um, there's another one called Student Scholarship Search dot com. Um, same thing. You can filter it by state. Um, so whether you're, you know, looking at the state you're currently residing in, or if you want to look at the state, if you're going out of state for college, you know, you might want to check that too, just to make sure. 
Um, but yeah, there's there's all sorts of, of different websites that you can try to to stay local. But I would definitely try some of those and really stick with you know social media and Facebook again. That can bring it a lot more local to you as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I also um, wanted and, to and, count- uh, oh, go ahead. Sorry, I was just going to say one last thing they can do too is just to make sure they're checking the the website of the colleges that they're looking at. So if there are certain colleges they already have in mind. Make sure they're looking on those websites because a lot of the um, colleges will have their own scholarship searches as well so that they can, again, narrow it down to either, you know, scholarships for those particular majors or for their students in particular. Um, so just make sure that you're checking the, the college websites, too, to make sure that there's um, not other scholarships that you can be applying for, too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I also have heard of students doing well when even if they couldn't find information about a particular scholarship, they actually like wrote to or contacted the organization. So don't just look and see if it's on their Facebook page, but actually uh-huh. feel free to kind of reach out and just say, I am this, I am a student with such and such qualifications. Do you have a scholarship? Um, and, and so I want to like just emphasize that, that you might need to go beyond just looking around. Yeah, and absolutely. I mean, you know, and I said earlier, too, um, about that, you know, searching with local organizations, it is a good idea to call them because, you know, as you said, a lot of companies may not have websites that are up to date or they might not have anybody, they might not have a website. And so, you know, it is going to be a good idea to just pick up a phone and say, hey, you know, I'm, I'm going to college. I'm wondering if you guys have any, you know, help for me, any scholarships that you're offering. And so, again, you know, that information might get to a guidance counselor at some point. But, yeah, if you can be proactive and, and making phone calls and, and emailing people or, or writing to them, I think that really helps. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Great. Thank you so much, Chrissy. You are so welcome, Sally. Have a great day. You too. All right. And thanks to the rest of my guests today. Um, I, and I'm really excited to tell you guys about our February 6th show next week. Um, it's going to be all three hosts, uh, Beth Heaton, Ian Fisher, and I. We'll all be sharing our memories of being in college admissions um, and working for College Coach, kind of discussing, you know, how things have changed over time. Um, over time. And I personally have quite a lot of experience, so I've got some stories. Um, we're also happy to announce a special opportunity. If you write a review of getting in a college coach conversation, so of this particular podcast on Apple podcast before January 31st, which is tomorrow. So you're going to want to get right on that. You will be entered to win two hours of college counseling with, uh, with the host, uh, Elizabeth Heaton. So Beth Heaton. Um, and finally, I want to remind you that you don't have to listen to our shows live. Every show is accessible 24 seven on the voice America website. And you can also download every show for free on iTunes. If you check out the archives, you'll find past shows featuring our core office hour segments on topics like colleges with March deadlines. And we'll of course be, have lots of segments answering listener questions. If you want to search for a particular show topic, you can go to our blog page to find the date as we include a summary of each show there. That URL is blog.getintocollege.com. And last, don't forget, we're here every Thursday, 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific. So check us out. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. Please join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.